they can watch the information, the materials, when they're ready to learn. So they can fit it in when they have the time. They can watch it more than once if they need to. It's also suited to different learning styles for those of us who do need to hear it more than once to really get the information and the concepts. From Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, this is Techies Today, the Purdue Polytechnic Podcast. I'm John O. Flipped classrooms reverse the so-called traditional learning environment in which students sit passively in rows of desks, taking notes as an instructor delivers a lecture. Students who take courses offered by Rosemary Astimer are expected to watch her lectures before coming to class. She posts them online as pre-recorded videos. This allows Rosemary's class meetings to be used for active learning and problem solving. Rosemary is an assistant professor of practice in Purdue Polytechnic's Computer Graphics Technology Department. And she says that flipping the classroom better accommodates different learning styles since her videos are available on demand. So students can watch and rewatch them as needed until they fully comprehend the material. For an instructor, flipping a classroom requires an upfront investment in time to record and edit videos in advance. And Rosemary says that it is, in fact, a considerable amount of work. But time spent upfront translates to time savings later. Instructors can use their pre-recorded presentations many times, providing consistency when they're teaching multiple sections of a course in the same semester and more time saved in future semesters, as long as the material remains up to date. Rosemary's approach has been so successful that she's able to guide her students remotely from her home near Boston, Massachusetts, with visits to Purdue's West Lafayette campus only a couple of times each semester. Bridget O'Brien and I talked with Rosemary, who says that in the future, her flipped classroom approach might help Purdue Polytechnic offer more computer graphics technology courses to students at our locations around the state. I am Rosemary Astheimer. I've been a assistant professor of practice here at Purdue for six years now. I previously was in industry though, always working with CAD software. So I've worked at PTC, I worked at a, a startup company that did simulation inside of CAD software, so that includes CATIA and NX. So CAD is really the center of my career. CAD is computer-aided design. Computer-aided design, correct. Tell us about your background before you were in industry. Like, what did you study in college? I studied mechanical engineering at the University of Massachusetts, and that's where I first started using ProEngineer, which is, uh, it's now called Creo. I've renamed it, but I started using the software, and I loved it, and so that's what kind of got me hooked, and I took a job with PTC, and, and the rest is history. <laughs> so we've just given our listeners half a dozen different software titles with short technical-sounding names that are unfamiliar to many. Okay, Can you point. give us a, a wider angle view of what the whole category of software is? Computer-aided design, what is it? What, what did you do? What do you do? Uh, so it's 3D modeling is kind of the easy, uh, the easy answer. It's designing a new product inside of a virtual system 
and there's different, there's really, I say there's three big players. Some would argue there's four, but PTC makes a software called Creo. Siemens, the big healthcare company as well, makes another one called NX. And Dasso Systems makes Katia. And they also acquired a company, SolidWorks, which is, I'm going to get some some feedback from people when I call it a lower-end CAD system, but it's a little bit lighter weight, less expensive, but some people also consider that a major player in the in the market as well. So how did you get connected to Purdue if you are a Massachusetts woman? <laughs> Good question. I get that a lot. Um, I was a product manager at PTC, helping develop the Creo software around exchange of data between these systems, because everybody's got more than one of these. You can't just have one. And that was where I met Dr. Hartman at a uh, conference where we were working with other players in industry to help make sure we were exchanging this data correctly. And that's Nathan Hartman from Nathan our CGT Hartman. Department. Yep, he's the department head of CGT, Computer Graphics Technology. And I just became friendly with him. And when I was looking for work a few years later, he said, I think I may have something. And uh, that's, how, that's how I got into Purdue. So you're technically not on the Purdue campus. Correct. So I live outside of Boston. Yeah, you know, I have, I have family in the Massachusetts area. That's where I've, I've lived, and that's where my husband has a job. So when I was talking with, with Nathan Hartman, I said, do we think we can do this remotely? And I said, well, let's, let's give it a try. And it's worked out, it's worked out well. Describe how, how your classes work if you're teaching remotely. Yeah, sure. So I have, there's two different classes. I teach one that's uh, professional development or continuing ed. Those are completely self-paced. So I post videos that talk about the topics, videos that show demonstrations of the software, and then provide very detailed written instructions for them to go through exercises themselves. They do have access to me via WebEx. They just need to contact me and ask for help if they need it. But most are able to get through it and don't require that assistance. And for my undergrads, they do something similar. They're Lectures are videos that I record, demonstrations as well. And then I do require them to get on a WebEx once a week because I think it's important to have some interaction, some FaceTime. It's a chance for me to remind them of assignments or talk about some important things that maybe came up that don't always get across so well in an email uh, conversation. So. So we meet uh, once a week. WebEx is a live two-way video conference. Yes, yes. Go back to your first semester when you did this. Mm -hmm. How do you think your students reacted when they learned that you weren't always going to be right there in the room with them? It's kind of funny because I wasn't there in the beginning. I had a TA, so I did have someone. They used to go to lab and have a TA in the lab with them every week. And I showed up on campus one time midway through semester and they kind of looked at me like she's real she's not just someone behind the camera Um, so that was that was kind of funny and strange but since then I come to campus the first week so that they can meet me and explain how the the whole process will work and then I'll come at the end of the semester we have a project that we're usually wrapping up but I do 
I do my own survey in addition to the university survey and ask them, how did you like the format? Can you give me any feedback to make it better? And there's always a couple that have a hard time with the format, but really the majority likes it because they can watch the information, the materials when they're ready to learn. They don't have to be in a lab at 7.30 in the morning, which is not optimal for college students, sorry to say. So they can fit it in when they have the time. They can watch it more than once if they need to, right? Which I know when I was in college, I wasn't the best note taker. And if you don't take notes and get it that one time when you're face to face, you know, you're, you're not necessarily out of luck, but you're going to have to go back to the professor, ask questions. So... It's just a lot more convenient for them, but it's also suited to different learning styles for those of us who do need to hear it more than once to really get the information and the concepts. It's almost like your classes can be DVR'd. You can, you can time shift when you have class. Yep. You can watch the video at your schedule. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get it, it's, it's recorded you get to watch it again until you understand the information. It's always there, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like on-demand, right? On-demand TV, mm -hmm. or I guess you could binge watch my videos if you <laughs> wanted to. So you expect your students to consume your video lectures in advance, and then they arrive during the scheduled class period for active learning. Exactly, right? yeah, so we're, we're essentially doing the flipped classroom approach, which Purdue has been uh, promoting, so that rather than spending your valuable time face-to-face -face, just having a monologue or just, you know, me just talking. We can have a real discussion, ask real questions, solve problems together. So it's, it's more engaged and I think far more valuable than the traditional lecture-style classroom. So you're helping students to learn to use the different CAD programs that you talked about a few minutes ago mm -hmm. and do design projects with them. Mm -hmm. The students at your level, are they already familiar with the software or are they still getting acquainted with the software? At this level, they have had some experience with the software. I do expect them to have a basic understanding of it. Okay. For the parts of the software that they're still kind of the, the more advanced level then of, of using the software, do you find it challenging to help them when you're not in the classroom with them? Or is that what a teaching assistant can help with? Just for uh, software how to use the software issues? It's actually really pretty minimal. I, I think I've learned a lot about how to record my demos and what to show. I even, when I'm recording a demo, if I make a mistake, I don't take it out of my recording because I want them to see, oops, you might do this, and also that we all make mistakes. So don't be afraid. If you make a mistake, so what, right? You can go back and undo it. It's not a big deal. So I want them to experience that not being perfect the first time, but I really don't get a whole lot of questions or problems where they're absolutely stuck. If they do, they can email me their files and I'll take a look or we'll hop on a meeting together and, and look at it together, but it's worked really well. Where do you get your projects that the students work on? That is my own uh, sort of undertaking. <laughs> and I probably make a lot more work for myself, but I like to do a different project every semester. A lot of professors will just do the same, the same project again and again, but I like to do something new. 
I like to do something that's realistic, real world type work. And if I can get an added benefit in there to help someone out, uh, that's even better. And so when I say that, I'm thinking of my latest, uh, really my latest three projects. We did one where we helped design a prosthetic for a dog that was born with a, a limb deformity. So it was to help her hopefully walk a little bit more comfortably. Project K. Project K. K was the name of the dog who, um, who we helped design the prosthetic for. And then last semester, we worked on the Purdue SAE vehicle and took a look of some of the components in their vehicle that were wearing down or maybe failing even. And I had the students look and say, what kind of improvements could we make? Why do you think this is failing? This semester, we're working with the Animal Rescue League of Boston. I chose them because they're close to me and I can easily drive over if I need to communicate with them. And we're helping redesign a device. It's a long pole with a loop around it that you'll use if you're trying to catch an injured animal, maybe a feral animal, a cat up in a tree. And so they found that device a little bit difficult to use. So I asked my students, can you come up with something that will make it easier for them? So again, hoping to, to do some work that's for a good cause. And what was interesting about one of the team's solutions to that catch pole was they've designed a, a solution, but they incorporated products that you could buy at any home improvement store. Mm -hmm. So the animal rescue group didn't have to have a 3D printer right. on hand to, to fix or to remedy or to create the solution to this problem. They could go to their local hardware store, buy a handful of these items that are already pre-made mm -hmm. and put it to use on that pole. Yeah, and that's one of my requirements is that we're, we're, we're doing this for a nonprofit, so they don't have endless budget for things like this, but if you can make it affordable and easy to do, right, and they're modifying these devices that they already own, which cost a little bit over $100 each, and they've got six of them, so rather than spending $600 on maybe a revised design that's out there from the company, if you can spend $15 and modify what you already have, it's a big, a big benefit to them. So I, I did try to encourage my students to, to keep it low cost, but also has to be functional as well. So, Do you typically have your students work in teams? I do. Why is that? I find everyone brings a little bit something different to the table. I try to pair students from different majors because, again, they'll have different knowledge that they're going to bring in. I try to pair students that maybe aren't in the same year of studying. So if I have a sophomore and a senior, I think the senior is going to help mentor the sophomore a little bit. So I try to mix it up as much as I can. And of course, I pair them up because I think otherwise they'll tend to go with their friends or who they know. And so by pairing them up, maybe they'll meet someone new that they'll be connected with for the rest of their career. So I try to give them the best experience that they can have, even if maybe they don't like it. Hopefully it's benefiting them in some way. What kind of high school student would excel in this class? Someone who's interested in going into design or 
even someone who wanted to be like a quality engineer and look for potential problems with a product, someone who really wants to get into the details and make sure that a, a good product is going out the door. That said, even if you were in another field, having this knowledge, again, just makes makes you that much uh, stronger and, and gives you some, some skills to bring to uh, if you went out to marketing, right? If you understand the product better, I think you'll you'll have a better message to provide, for example. So you are a faculty member in computer graphics technology. So these are obviously graphics visual oriented courses. There may be sketching, sometimes on paper or on a whiteboard, obviously in computer software, but it's very visual and you're teaching remotely. How do you overcome the challenges that that involves of being able to work with their visuals when you aren't always in the same room? So I do require them to do presentations. I, the first presentation they'll do, they'll present their ideas to me. And that's essentially just to get feedback. Show me what you're thinking about and, and really show me, right? Set, give me sketches. Go on the internet and find images that maybe use the same concepts that you're thinking about. And so that's really the starting point of, of showing them the value of having a, a picture, a sketch. A picture is worth a thousand words is so true, especially when you come to something very technical. And I think that's a little bit difficult for some people when they first encounter that. So I try to, I try to give them feedback and make them think about it a little bit differently. And you know, could, is there a better way that they could try to convey that information? When you say sketch, do you mean a, a sketch by hand or do you mean a, a computer-aided design sketch? I think sketching by hand is, I think it's a very good tool that should still be used. When you go into the software, you tend to get into the details of how you're going to capture that sketch. It's so much more easy to get your initial thoughts just down with a pencil and a piece of paper. And again, if it's not great the first time, sketch it again, right? I'm not the best artist myself. But if you can make a quick sketch in 30 seconds versus launching the software, going in, the software is very specific. It needs to be constrained, so everything has to be dimensioned. So I think that can restrict you from really getting your initial ideas down. Of course, once you get to the end product and you need those details, then the computer software is, is appropriate. Have you encountered any resistance or hesitation or unfamiliarity that students are having with sketching by hand in this digital age? A little bit. Uh, some of our students are graphic artists, so they have beautiful sketches that I'm jealous of. They, they look great. But yeah, there are a few that, you know, oh, my sketch isn't that good. I'm sorry. They're apologizing. But I, I again, I encourage that that's okay. You know, you don't have to be perfect. As long as you can get your point across, that's what's important. What advice do you have for a student who might put more effort into their computer sketching, maybe not as much into their sketching by hand? I think practice is key. 
to that. Maybe they could go take a sketching class, right, as an elective to if they want to get better, but maybe just doodling on a piece of paper when you're, I don't want to say in class because they should be paying attention in class, but, um, <laughs> you know, whatever, if they, they find themselves with a couple extra seconds, draw something out. Really, without doing it, you can't get better at it. So so start doodling. Yeah, why not, right? Yeah. Our guest is Rosemary Astheimer, and you've become an expert by necessity because you live in Boston, but you're teaching here, with the flipped classroom. And as you described earlier, the flipped classroom is where the students come to class having already consumed, already viewed your lecture material, and they come to work on the projects. For faculty members who are still getting used to changing up the traditional methods of teaching, where they show up in class and deliver the lecture and then send students off to do the work afterward, even if they don't have to do it remotely, what advice would you give to faculty who are still trying to incorporate more of that active learning in their own classes? One of the benefits is that you can record your lecture once and reuse it. That's especially helpful if you have multiple lab sections. So I usually have two or three lab sections. And when I'm live, I always worry that I say something to one section that I don't say to the other section. And so that could be unfair or, uh, you know, holding back important information. So the benefit of recording is that you can, you can deliver consistent content. The downside is it takes quite a bit of time to record. For every, I'd say, hour of recording, there's three to four hours of editing, unless you're really good at it and can wing it, but I'm not quite there yet. It, it takes a bit of work, and especially with assignments, spelling out every step, writing it down, putting images in the documents, that, that takes even longer. Again, once it's established, you can reuse it. So there is a lot of work up front, but I think the payoff down the line is that you can reuse it, you can be consistent and, and very specific with, with what you're asking the students for. In some cases, you can, I imagine you can reuse your videos even in later semesters. Yes, right? yep. As long as the concepts don't change or the technology doesn't change, you can reuse it. I do find myself going back quite a bit, though, and adding slides in here or, you know, I, I continue to learn new stuff, so I want to bring that to the class, but I try to be smart about how I record so that I can easily do that and improve and, and add to it. So you might see me uh, on campus with long hair and on video with short hair, but uh, <laughs> if the message hasn't changed, then, uh, then I'll be reusing my videos. So what's next? Well, for us, the Polytech has been looking at, can we do this distance learning format more frequently? Would it be feasible? Part of the reasons for that is that some of our statewide locations don't have the classes that we offer here on campus in West Lafayette. And the other is that we might be teaching the same classes. So we've got two professors doing the same work and if we could get that in a distance format and have everybody take it and have one professor doing that work, that frees us up to 
develop new courses, you know, improve improve uh, the department in other areas. So we are taking a look at what technology would we need to do that. We probably need to have a classroom where they can go to to watch the videos in case they don't have access to a laptop or internet uh, outside of the university, which I think is probably the exception versus the rule. But we're, we're beginning to see how we can leverage the technology to provide a better experience for the student and an equal experience uh, no matter which campus they're on. Rosemary, what has been for you the most rewarding thing to have changed careers from working in industry to now working in academia with, with students? I love that hopefully I'm helping shape them into valuable professionals that'll be out in industry. Uh, I just, I enjoy teaching. I always have and I I did a fair bit of training even when I was in industry. And I really love the freedom that I have to teach what I think is important, to bring my perspective to it. So I'm not really restricted by which topics I cover as long as they're within the, the realm of the course I'm teaching. But I've just, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And again, hope the students will come to me if they need some advice. I always say, come back to me if you need a mentor or, or need some help. So I've enjoyed uh, working with them and seeing some really great work come out of their studies. Although the time has not yet arrived to announce new course offerings, if their planning goes well, Rosemary Astheimer said that they might be ready in the next year or so to begin delivering additional computer graphics technology courses at Purdue Polytechnic locations around the state using the flipped classroom distance learning format. A video version of this episode is available on our YouTube channel, including photos of the recent student projects that Rosemary described. A link to that video is on our website at polytechnic.purdue.edu slash techiestoday. Look for the hot links under episode 10. In the next episode of Techies Today, Nadim Ali, a senior in mechanical engineering technology, has gone on not one, but three summer internships, and his studies and internship experiences have helped him refine the goals he has set for his future career. When I was first looking to go to college, I wanted to like create my own automotive design firm. Since then, I realized that I wanted to broaden my focus more in terms of just having a more engineering background with it, but still have that design-oriented side of things, and I've been able to accomplish that here. Techies Today is produced at Purdue University in Purdue Polytechnic's Office of Marketing Communications. Find Purdue Polytechnic on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at TechPurdue. And look for the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Techies Today. We welcome your email. Send it to techiestoday at purdue.edu. Our executive producer is Melissa Templeton. I'm John O, the podcast's editor and producer. Thanks for listening. That's what's happening for Techies Today.